Have you ever prayed a prayer and received an almost immediate answer to it? The Lord Jesus prayed that those participating in his crucifixion might come into God's forgiveness. He prayed that they would know what they were doing and repent and believe in the one who could forgive them. And almost immediately, while hanging on the cross, God began to answer the Lord's prayer. Hello everyone, I'm Joel Van Hoogen and this is The Bread of Life. This program is brought to you by Church Partnership Evangelism. To learn more about our reach around the world, go to traincpe.org. And to learn about our missions fellowship in Boise, Idaho, go to breadoflifeboise.org. From Luke chapter 23, verses 39 through 43, we're now considering the confession of the thief who hung on the cross alongside of the Lord Jesus, and how it is that he was an answer to our Lord's prayer for forgiveness to those who were participating in his death. As we considered last week, the Lord Jesus has been crucified. And as he's nailed between these two individuals who are identified as criminals, as he's being nailed there to the cross, we find him, as we found last week, interceding for those who are participating in this act. He prays for them. He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We noted last week that there is recorded in the gospel accounts occasions which different individuals came to the Lord Jesus in faith, seeking a provision from him or seeking healing from him or a touch from his life or to be renewed in his presence. And the Lord Jesus met this movement of faith on their part with a proclamation. He said, your sins are forgiven you. And whenever he did that, that caused a stir to all those that were listening around because it was a word of absolution. It was a word in which the Lord was saying to them, your guilt and your sins have been forgiven and they've been dismissed. And it was, as those listening understood, a divine word. These individuals who came to him didn't have some ongoing relationship with him. They hadn't had some stored up direct sins that they'd committed against him. And yet the Lord Jesus offers forgiveness to them of all their sins. The only one who can do that is God, because ultimately the one that we sin against in every occasion, whoever it is you sin against, Ultimately, the one you sin against, first of all, is God himself. And so God stands behind every sin, and God stands as the ultimate object of every sin that we commit. It's a breaking of his law, and it's a defiance of his will, and God ultimately is the one who holds the keys to our forgiveness and our absolution. The Lord Jesus offers that to these who come to them, and they would say things like, well, how can he forgive other people of their sins? There's only one who can forgive sins, and that's God alone. Of course, they were right. They were correct in their confusion. But now, as the Lord Jesus is hanging upon the cross, those who are contributing to his death are surrounding him and engaged in this activity, and the Lord Jesus doesn't pray a prayer or issue a word of absolution. He doesn't declare that they've been forgiven. Instead, he prays or intercedes that they would be forgiven. He actually is praying that they might experience what is required of them in order that they might gain God's forgiveness. In other words, that they might reach the condition in which that forgiveness could flow to them. Because they're ignorant of their sins, they must realize their sins. And then they must repent of their sins. And then they must turn in faith from their sins and trust in the one who alone can give them forgiveness. In other words, this cry that God might bring them to forgiveness is a cry that they would come to the point one day of understanding their need and understanding their situation and their sin, they might come to the point of repentance and faith and trust in Him. Jesus is praying that a knowledge might come to them 
to give to them what is necessary in order that they might turn into God and receive his forgiveness. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And it's a defense, but in the defense, it's also a plea with God to change the conditions that put them in the state of unforgiveness. They might know these things and know what they're doing. And we spoke last week of how Peter then got up in response in part to this prayer of the Lord Jesus and how he proclaimed to those in Jerusalem what they had done, that they with lawless hands had put to death the Prince of Life. And he preached this message pointing out to them their profound guilt and they were in that point of understanding. He made the case before them that this was the Messiah. This was the Son of God. And as they came to understand this and understand what they'd done, they cried out, men and brethren, what must we do? They were cut to the heart, we're told. Many believed, and it was in response, as we said, in part in answer to what the Lord Jesus had prayed here. Now, as we've moved further on in our story, in our account, the Lord Jesus is hanging, nailed to the cross. He's hanging before a crowd that's gathered around him from all Jerusalem and also from the religious leaders that are there. And we're told that the crowd and the religious leaders in particular began to sneer at him and mock him. And they said things like, save yourself. If you're the son of God, come down from the cross. And they said, he saved others, he can't save himself. We read that he said, let him save himself if he's the Christ, the chosen one of God. And again, we're told they said things like, if he's the king of Israel, let the Messiah, king of Israel, come down from the cross that we may see and believe in him. And then we're told, following up upon the mocking that takes place among the leaders and the crowd that are following along with him, that the Roman soldiers as well began to mock him. And they began to chime in with their own mocking and say, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. And they began to say the same types of things. And finally, Matthew records that these two thieves that are hanging next to him also begin to reproach him. And Matthew says they reproached him in the same manner. In other words, they followed suit with those on the ground surrounding them with the same insults. But I think their words are a bit different. Luke actually points out that in the railing of these thieves, there was a little bit of a turn. The other one said, save yourself. You've saved others. You can't save yourself. If you're really the Messiah, come down from the cross. But Luke tells us what one of the thieves at least said. He said, if you're the Messiah, save yourself and us. If you're who you say are, save yourself and us. These thieves, these criminals, are suffering as they're on their own crosses. And they feel the mocking that's being laid at the Lord Jesus upon themselves. Here is the one who's been rumored as the one who has come and rescued and delivered the oppressed. And are they not oppressed themselves in this very moment? And he's doing nothing with them but dying alongside of them. And they're mocking hints at their own frustration, at their own helplessness, and the agonizing condition in which they're in. And they come late to this scorn and this mocking, but they join in as well. They're angered under their own misery, and they're lashing out at God by lashing out at Jesus. Here's what we can take from these accounts of this mocking that takes place at this moment. And here's just a few things that we want to store away in our minds to put this and frame what we're going to be considering this morning and frame it all for ourselves. And the first one is this, is that there is among the crowd and all those gathered around the cross, there is some knowledge of the purported power of the Messiah. And there is some knowledge of what the Lord Jesus has claimed to be the title that belongs to him for those that are around the cross. They know, they understand 
that this is one who not only was rumored to be the Messiah, but that himself has allowed that rumor to go forward. And there's also a knowledge that Jesus, as Messiah, has also indicated that he is the Son of God, that he is the king that God has appointed to rule over the Jews. We can also see that there is knowledge among the Roman soldiers of the traditions of the Jews and the power of the coming king, that he had power over death itself and that he was going to set up a rule over all of the earth, that his kingdom was before him and it would advance throughout all the world. And again, we can also take from these words that there was a certain knowledge of the miracles that the Lord Jesus had before this time performed. He saved others. He saved others. He can't save himself. They had a knowledge, but here's what we learn from this. Knowledge of is not belief in. They had a knowledge of, but they had no belief in Jesus Christ. And so they mocked. It's interesting to note here that their mocking mirrors the very temptations that Satan brought to the Lord Jesus when he endured his trial of temptation after his baptism, when he began his earthly ministry. You remember that Satan took the Lord Jesus in his hunger and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to be turned into loaves of bread. And then he took him up on the Temple Mount and he said, If you're the Son of God, cast yourself down. Because God will watch over you and God will protect you and won't allow your foot to be dashed. Now these voices are mocking the Lord Jesus, and these voices are inspired by Satan himself. If you're the Son of God, if you're the Christ, if you're the King, save yourself. If He is who He says He is, let God save Him. Those are the things that are being said here. But here's what we need to understand. Jesus has prayed for these very mockers. He's prayed that they would come into a knowledge of their sins. He's prayed that they would discover who he was and what they are doing and that their ignorance would be vanished from their minds. And in that moment, they would discover what it is they needed for their forgiveness and they would find forgiveness. He's prayed, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And even as Christ hung on the cross, God the Father began to answer his prayer. One of these thieves who is engaged in this mocking comes past the point of his anger and his frustration at the agony that's taking place in his body and that he's going through. And he comes to a realization. He comes to a fresh comprehension or understanding or insight. Maybe he is persuaded as he watches the silent eloquence of the Lord Jesus as he suffers beside him. Maybe he is persuaded as he hears the realized expression of the Lord Jesus praying for the forgiveness of those who are crucifying him and calling out to God as Father. And he recognizes an intimacy in Christ's voice that he does not know himself. Maybe he has in this moment a recognition that this moment is bringing to the surface all of the wickedness in himself. And all of the wickedness in the other thief beside him. And he sees percolating to the top in this moment all of the darkness and wickedness of the crowd around. But at the same time, it stands in contrast to the purity and sinlessness of the one who's hanging beside him. And he's overwhelmed by it all. And he begins to think through it all and calculate it all. And the coarseness of his own mocking. The sinfulness of their own past seems to be exuding out from them in their angry suffering. 
And in contrast, there's one beside him who reflects from his wounds the radiance of purity and innocence. And he knows it wasn't natural. He knows that this is something supernatural. Whatever it is, God opens the eyes of this criminal to see what sinlessness looks like. And in that very moment, he sees how sinful he is. Let's look at how God answers this prayer that the Lord Jesus prayed. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. Father, bring them to an understanding so that they might receive your forgiveness. Let's see how God answers this prayer. And the first thing that we should note here is that the first thing that this thief begins to comprehend that brings him, brings him to receive God's forgiveness. The first thing is he sees or comprehends or comes to understand or becomes aware of who it is that's beside him on the cross. That this is the Christ, that this is the King, that this is the Son of God. The first thing that must come in answering the prayer that we might come into God's forgiveness is there must be a revelation. There must be a revelation of God to the individual. Please join us in our next broadcast as we discover the miracle of that wonderful revelation of who Jesus was to the thief who was dying on the cross. Before we sign off for this broadcast, I want to remind you of a ministry website that we've developed. It is testyourtestimony.com. Our concern is that there are many in our churches who do not have a true born-again relationship with Jesus Christ and so face the prospect of His rejection at the judgment seat in the last day. Our pity for these has made us develop the site testyourtestimony.com in order to apply the command of 2 Corinthians 13.5 to test ourselves to see whether we're in the faith. For now, I look forward to our next time partaking together of the bread of life. Till then, may God bless you.